Welcome to another episode of Mike's Money Picks. Today on the podcast, we're going to be breaking down the main slate for Saturday, February 24th on DraftKings as well as FanDuel. This is the 12 p.m. Eastern Time slate. We've got a 12-gamer on DraftKings and a slate on FanDuel as well that have got a lot of juicy game environments and a lot of different options for building your lineups. I actually think that there's not in like overwhelming amount of value here on this slate, but there's enough that you can definitely sit down, build a lineup, and feel confident about it. So here on this episode, we're going to break down all 12 games and what you can expect from a DFS perspective. What game environments do you need to be targeting? What players do you need to be targeting for those DraftKings and FanDuel lineups on Saturday? Now, if you are hearing my voice and it doesn't sound like normal, um, I actually went and checked out some high school basketball tonight. Um, you know, got um, a little bit vocal with some of the big moments and big swings of the game, um, maybe or maybe not, maybe not at the officials. Um, and so I do apologize if, if my voice is not great, but I'm going to try to do my best to make it through this episode. And we are also getting a little bit of a later start here tonight because we went and checked out that, that game. And then my five-month-old daughter did not want to go to sleep. So um, just a little bit later start here tonight. But um, if honestly, if I felt confident enough to run a good YouTube live tonight, probably would have been a great night to do it or to do it tomorrow morning. But um, either way, here we are recording this one, y'all. So whether you find this late, late Saturday night or early Saturday morning, I'm happy to hear, be here and break down this Saturday slate with you. Make sure you go ahead and subscribe to the YouTube channel as well as to the audio feed. That way you can get notified when the episodes drop. And I hope to be back for this Sunday college basketball slate as well. All right, so we've got 12 games to cover. So let's quit doing down here. Let's go ahead and jump into game numero uno. All right, so the first game of the slate is going to be in the SEC, taking place between Missouri and Arkansas. And I'll go ahead and get this out of the way now. If you enjoy sweating out DFS, if you enjoy being alive, if you enjoy being a degenerate gambler, this is the game for you because neither of these two teams have super set in stone rotations or usage rates, or production, or anything for that matter. And these are two coaches who will change something at the drop of a hat. Nothing is secure in this game. However, there's a lot of upside in this game, so that's why I'm, I'm mentioning it. Um, Ken Palm has this one projected to be 76 to 71 in favor of Arkansas. That's a 147 point total, which is in the top half of the slate. But the previous meeting between these two teams was an up and down affair. It ended 91 to 84 Arkansas for a 175 point total. So definitely some potential for fantasy points to be scored in this one. You just don't know who they're going to be scored by. On the Missouri side, the first game was a big Tamar Bates game. He ended with 44 fantasy points in that meeting against Arkansas on 9 for 18 shooting. He's taken double digit shots every game since, but has not hit as many or taken as many as that game. Um, I think that was definitely his ceiling. Is he in play at 6,700? Yeah. Is he a guy I'm going to play a whole lot? Probably not. Sean East is their usage leader on the season. Pretty consistently game in, game out, he's been their guy, right? Like he's been the guy who leads the offense, takes the most shots, gets to the foul line quite a lot as well. Also has a pretty high assist rate. He set over 35 fantasy points in both of his last two games. Only 28.5 in that first meeting against Arkansas. Didn't take a whole lot of shots in that game. Dealt with a little bit of foul trouble as well. Um, so definitely another guy who is he in play? Yeah. Am I going to play a whole lot of them? Probably not. In fact, if I'm using an optimizer tomorrow, I'm probably putting in a rule where I'm probably not playing more than one Missouri guy just because. I don't really think that they're very stackable together. Now, after that, um, 
there's just not a whole lot to get excited about, right? Like Nick Carter's, they're, they're kind of leading rebounder type of guy, but he doesn't take a whole lot of shots. Aiden Shaw will come in and has a little bit of upside, but doesn't play a whole lot of minutes. Jesus Carlero Martin is a guy that I used to play a ton before he got injured uh, because he used to play a lot of minutes and he has not played that many minutes since. Um, so does he have a little bit of upside? Maybe can he return to that old role? Possibly. Is it likely? Probably not. So really, the, the big two for Missouri, East and Bates, are probably the primary guys that I'm going to look for. Now, on the Arkansas side, the last time they played Missouri, Traymond Mark had 37 fantasy points. Makai Mitchell had 40 fantasy points. Those were the two biggest games that they had. And Mark has been pretty solid. He, he's shown that upside quite a few times um, this year. Um, and he's a guy who has led them in usage on the season, takes a ton of shots, puts up from some peripheral stats as well. You really like him in a game that has a chance to get up and down. Mark is definitely in play for me. Makai Mitchell, I really like also. So he has the tendency that he can get in the coach's doghouse because every now and then he does some dumb stuff. It's just what he does. I watched him at Rhode Island. I watched him at Arkansas. Every now and then he's going to make a boneheaded play. But Arkansas is kind of out of bigs. There's not a whole lot of guys that even if he does get in the doghouse, they can play over him. It's kind of what happened in that Missouri game. He put up 40 fantasy points in 34 minutes played, 19 and 14 in that game. Absolutely has the chance to do that again. If he plays enough minutes, he's a walking double-double. And with all the injuries that Arkansas has, there's definitely a chance that he could do that again. Is he a good cash game play? Probably not, but he did. does he have GPP upside? Absolutely. Khalif Battle is my other favorite guy on Arkansas. So in that first game against Mizzou, he only played 15 minutes, but he put up 17 fantasy points like that's over a fantasy point per minute per guard that's a pretty good rate but you look at the last two games and he's put up 23 and 26 fantasy points which we like for a salary of 5200 dollars and he's taken a total of 28 shots in those two games. Last game against Texas A&M, he was three for 15 from the field, but guess what? He kept shooting that thing. And so if he's going to stay in and play 30 plus minutes and take double digit shots against Missouri, I really like Khalif Battle in this spot. He is one of my favorite value plays of the entire slate. And I'm really not trusting a whole lot else of the Arkansas value, but I will mention that Jeremiah Davenport came in last game, played a lot of minutes in relief of Devo Davis. Um, and he only put up 17 fantasy points, but at his salary, that's kind of okay. But he took six threes, took 10 total shots. And if you're telling me that he's going to get 10 shots against Missouri's defense as opposed to Texas A&M's defense, he's probably going to end with more than 17 fantasy points. It's just a question of does he get those minutes and shots again? I genuinely have no idea. Like I said, these are the two toughest teams to predict on the entire slate. And you can totally avoid this game completely if you want to, in my opinion. Next up, we have one of my favorite games to stack, which is Indiana taking on Penn State. Ken Palm has this one projected to be Penn State 78 to 73 for a 151 point total. The previous meeting was 85 to 71 Penn State for a 156 point total. Now, why is this my favorite game to stack? Well, its total isn't the highest on the slate. It's one of the highest, but it is easiest to stack in terms of we know who these teams are going to be playing. We know where these fantasy points are going to be scored by, right? And so for Indiana, Kellel Ware had a great game against Penn State the first time, put up 41 fantasy points on 38 minutes played. And we know that centers against Penn State do work. Um, he's also put up 51 and 41 in his last two games. I see no reason to deviate from Kellel Ware because they've shown that if he can stay out of foul trouble, he's going to play 36 to 38 minutes, which is what you love to see out of a center, especially one that's high priced, especially one that's got a good matchup. So Kellel Ware is an absolute smash play for me. Malik Renew only had 25 five fancy points against Penn State in that first meeting, but we've been talking about Renew for a few weeks now where 
the price is not indicative of where his usage is. If he can just not foul, which is really hard for him to do because in the last five games, he has had um, four or more fouls. Um, if he can just not foul and stay on the floor and play at that usage rate for a full 30 to 35 minutes, you're looking at a guy who could easily go six or seven X his salary, in my opinion. So Renew definitely has a ton of upside. If you're a usage rate truther, continue to play Malik Renew. In that first game, Mackenzie Mbako had 24 fancy points and Trey Galloway had 26 fancy points against Penn State. And look, it, Mike Woodson has pretty much shown at this point the big four of where Renew, Mbako, and Galloway are going to play pretty much every minute unless they're in foul trouble. And so you got to like those two guys, Mbako and Galloway, even though they don't have super high ceilings, but you know they're going to be out there on the floor. And if this game environment does end up going crazy, then they're going to be two guys that you're probably going to want in your lineup. The other spot on the floor generally rotates between Liao, Gunn, and Cups, but at this point, they're just cardio guys. They're not taking a whole lot of shots, and really, we want to focus on those four on the Indiana side. On the Penn State side, that game was played without Kanye Clary. We, we talked about on the Wednesday show how Kanye Clary is out for Penn State for the rest of the season, and their usage rates and fancy production differ greatly when he's out of the lineup. Well, fortunately for us, we have a game against Indiana where he was already out of the lineup that we have a genuine sample size to go off of. In that game, Ace Baldwin had 40 fantasy points, and he continues to shine without Clary in the lineup. Last game against Illinois, he had 36 fantasy points on 3-for-12 shooting, which is not great. And he had 27% use Rate. So he has an incredibly high ceiling. I think he has an incredibly high floor as well without Clary in the lineup. Ace Baldwin is probably one of my favorite payup options at guard on this slate. We also have a three-game sample size now where Zach Hicks absolutely dominates without Kanye Clary in the lineup. You know, he had 30 originally against Indiana, 31 against Iowa, and then 32 against Illinois. Whenever Clary's out of the lineup, for whatever reason, it leads to a big game from Zach Hicks. So you definitely got to like him at $6,400. Caduce Wahab started off really hot against Illinois, but really didn't do much in the second half at all to only end with 24 fantasy points. But he did have 25 against Indiana the first time. He's in play, but he's not my favorite option. I would rather just pay $100 more to get Zach Hicks. Nick Kern is an interesting one because he has shown both a ceiling and a floor without Kanye Clary in the lineup. In the original game against Indiana, he played 25 minutes and had 3.5 fantasy points. It's not great, but yet last game against Illinois, he played 33 minutes, put up 36 fantasy points, and led the team in usage. So definitely a guy who has a legitimate ceiling. I think he's a solid GPP play. Um, DeMarco Dunn and Jameel Brown have been the other two guys who have kind of gotten minutes at the off-ball guard spot without Clary. And... DeMarco Dunn is not seeing the usage that we had hoped because the first two games without Clary, he was pretty good. Um, but last game against Illinois was not as good. 21 minutes, 10 fantasy points, only a 12% usage rate. Jamil Brown got more usage than DeMarco Dunn. Uh, Jamil Brown played 18 minutes against Illinois, put up 20.5 fantasy points, and had 21 previously against Indiana in only 16 minutes played. So in terms of those Penn State value guards, I've been a DeMarco Dunn guy for about the last three weeks, but I really think you got to uh, go on the side of Jameel Brown given the usage in the minutes that they showed last game. Now, if you thought that I spent a decent amount of time on those first two games, well, I did because they're solid game environments and they got a lot of information to cover. These next two are not that. We got Notre Dame, or I'm sorry, we got Houston traveling to Waco to take on Baylor. 
And Houston is projected to win this game 70-67, to 67, according to Ken Palm, making it one of the lower totals on the slate. Jamal Shedd is Houston's guy, though, and I think he's got to be targetable in every single slate that he's on because especially in Big 12 play, especially in close games, he is going to get a ton of usage. He's been over 26% in each of the last four games, and because he does so much with the peripheral stats, rebounds, assists, and steals, all those categories, he has a chance to go off every time he takes the floor. And this is a game where, you know, I definitely could see it being in his hands at the end and, and having a lot of opportunities to put up a lot of fantasy points. We've also seen big succeed against Baylor, so I definitely think you can play Juwan Roberts or Javier Francis. They're not super high usage guys, but they're really good rebounders and against a team like Baylor, that can really come in handy. And then you've got Emmanuel Sharp and LJ Cryer, who are just the wing shooters. Um, They've had more success against teams who are more willing to let them shoot threes. I don't think Baylor is going to be that. So I, I'm probably not super high on those two and really, really concentrate my Houston efforts around Shed, Roberts, and Francis. But you can avoid this game entirely if you want, especially you can avoid the Baylor side if you want because Houston is one of the worst matchups in all of college basketball DFS. And I think you can totally just not play anyone against Houston and be totally fine with it. It's kind of like back when we played college football, right? Like why play a guy going up against Georgia or Michigan when you don't have to? It's a 12-game slate. You don't have to play anybody going up against Houston if you don't want to. If you do, Ray J. Dennis is their usage leader, super high assist rate. Houston does tend to give up a lot of assists on the buckets that they do give up, but they don't give up a whole lot of buckets. And then Langston Love is out for Baylor. We believe he's going to be out for this game. Um, and that has tended to lead to increased minutes and usage for Jacoby Walter and Jaden Nunn. So their roles are more indicative of a 7K range player than a 6K range player. But the matchup against Houston knocks them back down to being reasonably priced. Next up, we have the lowest total of the slate, which is Notre Dame heading to Syracuse. And um, Ken Palm has this one projected to be 69 to 61 in favor of Syracuse. That's a 130 point total. It's not great. On the Notre Dame side, I got to be honest, there's one guy that I'm going to be playing, and that is Marcus Burton. Believe it or not, Marcus Burton leads all of the Power Six conferences in usage rate. And I get it. He's like the only offensive option that they have. And he has also shown an ability to hit value in fantasy in games where Notre Dame doesn't score a whole lot of points. Why, you ask? Because he's the one scoring the points. Against Georgia Tech, Notre Dame only put up 58 points. He had 36 fantasy points. Against Duke, they only put up 53. He put up 30 fantasy points. Against Virginia, Notre Dame only put up 53. He put up 32 fantasy points. She's sensing the pattern here, right? Like he has the ability to hit value, even if this Notre Dame side doesn't score a whole lot of points. After him, it's kind of a mess, if I'm being honest. Syracuse is a bad rebounding team, so maybe Kevin Ajay has a little bit of upside. He is playing um, north of 25 minutes in three straight games. He's a pretty solid rebounder, had 19 fantasy points in each of the last three games. I think there's worse places you can go for value than Kevin Ajay. Just know there's no security there, and you never know what this Notre Dame rotation is going to be like. On the Syracuse side, Notre Dame is going to slow this tempo down, and Notre Dame's actually not a terrible defensive team, so that makes them really tough to target. Judah Mintz is their usage leader on the season, but if you go look at his game log, he's only hit 4x value when Syracuse has failed to hit 70 points twice all season, and um, Ken Palm has them projected for 69, so that does not bode well for Judah Mintz, and I think there's a host of other guards at the $8,000 range that are better plays than him, but it does mean that he's probably going to be pretty lowly owned, and maybe if you go with a little Burton and Mintz stack and this game shoots out, Maybe you could get really lucky. I don't know. That could be a pathway to GPP success. I won't try it, but if you want to, I could certainly see the argument for it. After him, Malik Rebounder is a or Malik Brown is a great rebounder. Got a little ahead of myself there. And Notre Dame is a team that misses a lot of shots. 
And so you want to know what a good way to get a lot of rebounds is? Play a team that misses a lot of shots. And so maybe there's a little bit of upside for Malik Brown there. Chris Bell is an interesting one because he has turned into like just a catch and shoot guy. Like he had the shooting game of his life against NC State, was eight for 10 from three and only put up 33 fantasy points because he's not doing a whole lot in terms of peripheral stats. So because of his lack of peripherals in a slow game environment with a low total, probably a pass on Chris Bell for me. Quadier Copeland is a Syracuse guy that I'm willing to invest in though. He's young, he's up and coming, and he, in my opinion, looks like their best player when you watch him, just the eye test. Um, he had 41 fantasy points against NC State on only 26 minutes played, and to me, if there's a guy from this Syracuse team that's going to be GPP valuable or viable, it's probably going to be Quadier Copeland, and so that is why he would probably be the main guy that I'm playing on the Syracuse side, but again, I think you can avoid this game altogether. Next up, we have Vanderbilt heading to the Swamp to take on Florida. Is it the Swamp for their basketball arena? I know it's the Swamp for football. Maybe it's the Swamp for basketball, too. I don't know. Either way, we've got Vanderbilt heading to Gainesville to take on Florida. Ken Palm has this one projected to be 85-67 to 67 in favor of Florida. This is the most lopsided game. Actually, it is tied for the most lopsided game on this slate. No, it is not the most lopsided game on this slate. Never mind. 18-point spread is pretty high, though. Um, so on the Vanderbilt side... Lately, um, you know, we've talked about all season long how they're a two-guard team of Magnon and Lawrence, and they kind of alternate big games. Well, lately, it's been Magnon who has been the better player, higher usage player, um, gets a lot of peripheral stats as well. He is probably the more so the guy you would want to play over Tyron Lawrence. Evan Taylor moved into the starting lineup last game for Vanderbilt. And he's been a guy all season long that when he's been out there has played with a pretty solid usage rate, just hasn't always played the most minutes. And so I definitely think Evan Taylor is a guy that you can get to at $5,300. And even if this game gets ugly, even if it turns into a blowout, he might still get a lot of run because if you look at his game log, his minutes haven't really been affected by the game flow. Paul Lewis did have a breakout game last game for Vanderbilt, played 28 minutes against Georgia, 28 fantasy points in those 28 minutes. And if you're Jerry Stackhouse, if you're trying to um, – you know, kind of just get everything right for next year and, and see what you got. Why not continue to give Paul Lewis more minutes? So I could definitely see an argument for playing him in DFS at a salary of only $3,800. Just know that 28 fantasy points is probably a ceiling. Don't expect that again, but you only need about 16 or 17 to feel pretty good about it. On the Florida side, well, look, they're a super hard to predict team. We, we've talked about them, not in terms of who's going to play the minutes, but in terms of who's going to score the fantasy points because they play a pretty deep rotation and all their guys are pretty good. All their guys have a legitimate ceiling. Now, Zion Pullen is probably the guy you want to stack the most with um, this Florida side because of his assist rate. Um, and he generally gets a decent amount of assist and that makes him a very high floor player in DFS. After that, you got their big Samuel Hanlockton, Condon, and Hoff, who are all pretty solid. They're all they all have a legitimate ceiling. Who's gonna hit it? I don't know. It might be one of them, but I don't know which one it's gonna be. Good luck figuring that out if you want to figure that out. Um, they also have a few chuckers. And what I mean by that are guys who come in and are primarily shot-dependent DFS players, Will Richard and Riley Kugel. How many minutes will they play? How many shots will they get? I don't know, but in only 57 and 5,300, it doesn't cost a whole lot to figure it out, and they're a team that's projected to score 85 points. But the guy that I'm the most interested in is Walter Clayton Jr. Speaking of chuckers, he's a chucker. Um, he has put up 18 and 24 shots in the last two games put up 35 and 51 fancy points in those two games. Now, it might feel like chasing to go after those two performances, but Vanderbilt is a super poor three-point defensive team. We just saw it when they played Georgia with Nick Thomason getting hot from behind the arc. Well, if we're going to 
play a poor three-point defending team. Give me a guy who's going to shoot a ton of threes. And Walter Clayton Jr. took 16 last game against Alabama. So I definitely think that even if it feels a little bit like chasing to go after him after the 51 fantasy point performance, I definitely think everything in the data shapes up for Walter Clayton to have a chance to have another ceiling game against Vanderbilt. Now, the real biggest uh, spread of the slate is Virgi West Virginia taking on Iowa State. I did the quick math in my head wrong on this one. Ken Palm has this one projected to be 80-61 to 61 in favor of Iowa State. Look, West Virginia, they've gotten at least simpler to target. Jesse Edwards has been pretty solid. He is a double-double threat every time he touches the floor. Iowa State's defense against bigs has been hit or miss. There's some bigs that don't do well against them, and then there's some times where they give up 50 fancy points to Dylan Dessou. You just don't really know what's going to happen, but for a guy like Jesse Edwards who's going to play a lot of minutes, put get a lot of rebounds, if he gets you a double-double, he can absolutely hit 4 or 5x value. Raekwon Battle is back to his shooting ways like he was at the start of the season, taking at least 15 shots in the last three games, put up at least 33 fantasy points in the last three games. He's got to be in play, if, especially if you want to game stack this one, because he is going to get that many shots. We also talked about on the big Monday slate how Iowa State gives up a ton of assists because they tend to create a lot of catch-and-shoot three-point situations. Well, Kirk Risa got a pretty high assist rate. And so if you think that West Virginia is going to have any success against this Iowa State team, it would probably be because of Kirk Risa having a lot of assists. Now on the Iowa State side, we have talked for a while about how poor of a defensive backcourt West Virginia has. And so you can target Gilbert, Lipsy, or Jones for that. Like, I think one of those guys is going to have a ceiling game. Gilbert has been the best recently. Lipsy has been the best over the course of the season. And Curtis Jones is kind of like the sneaky play because I think if everybody goes and plays um, Lipsy and Gilbert, they're going to sleep on Curtis Jones, who has taken double-digit shots in four of the last five games. So definitely, I think you can go with all three of them. Iowa State's bigs, they play four of them, and Trey King is always my favorite um, because he has the best shot rate out of them. And so if you're going to be splitting minutes at the big position with four different guys, give me the guy who's going to be shooting it when he's out there. Um, and so at only $5,400, he is a very affordable value big in my opinion. All right, that does it for the first six games. So let's take a quick breather and then let's talk about the last six. This episode is just for the main slate on Saturday, but if you want my thoughts on the afternoon or the night or really any other slate on DraftKings or FanDuel, there are a few places where you can get that. First off, you can find me on Twitter at Mike's Money Picks. I do tweet out all the updates for the show on there, whether or not there's going to be an episode, um, you know, and I'm more than happy to answer any questions if you reach out to me on Twitter. I'm also in the Fantasy Corner Discord. The link is in the description on YouTube as well as on the audio feed. We got a lot of smart people in the Fantasy Corner Discord where we're talking lineup, strategy, plays just all day long and then sweating out together when the slate starts. And it's just a blast. If you're looking for people to bounce ideas off of or just sweat it out with, it's a great community to be a part of and I cannot recommend it enough. I also do write a full article to my Patreon for every single college basketball DFS slate. Sometimes the Saturday night slates can get night or uh, shortchanged because generally I'm exhausted by that point, and sometimes Saturdays can get busy. Um, but pretty much every other slate, I'm going to have a full written, full length article where I have my core plays as well as my lineup strategy and attack strategy for each slate. I'm not going to sit here and promise that I'm just going to hand out GPP winner after GPP winner just by plugging in my guys, but um, I think I can give out a lot of valuable information that can help you get better at college basketball, the FS, learn how to build lineups, learn how to build your own process. So um, anyway, 
Also, while I'm here, if you like what we do here on the channel, please hit the like button on YouTube and please rate and review the audio. I promise that really does help me out a ton and I really do appreciate when you guys do that. The more likes that YouTube sees a video has, the more it moves it to the front of the algorithm. So it really does help me out a lot when you guys just hit that like button. So if you like what we've done so far these first six games or if you've been in the channel for a while now, just please, 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 please hit that like button for me. It really does help me out a ton. All right, so game number seven is BYU heading to the Little Apple, um, Manhattan, Kansas to take on Kansas State. Ken Palm has this one projected to be 73 to 70 in favor of BYU. The previous meeting between these two teams was 72 to 66 in favor of BYU. Pretty consistent with um, the total that we've seen here in this one. Now, in that first meeting for BYU, both Ali Khalifa and Fusain Traore were great, but splitting minutes capped their upside. And that kind of continues to be the case with these two guys. Like, um, they're both really good players, in my opinion. They do different things well. Khalifa, in his time at Charlotte, was always nicknamed the Egyptian Jokic because that's kind of who he plays like. Whereas Traore is kind of like this you know, aggressive, athletic, strong, big, right? Um, and both of them were great against Kansas State, but both of them played about 20 minutes. And so if you want to kind of play this roulette game and play one or both of them and, and just see what's going to happen, then I definitely think that's a viable strategy because Kansas State is susceptible to big men, and both of those two are pretty good. Now, I very rarely target the guards at BYU, if I'm being honest, but there might be a little bit of value to be had on this slate. Spencer Johnson is questionable. His wife apparently went into labor, and... Um, he's also like 30, so this might be like his second kid. But anyway, um, no, seriously, look it up. I'm pretty sure he's like my age, like 28 or 29. Um, anyway, if he does not play, that opens up some value because Jackson Robinson, as well as Richie Saunders, would see boosted minutes. Cannell, Hall, and Johnson play all the minutes anyway. So Robinson and Saunders will be the beneficiaries in terms of the minutes. And Jackson Robinson has been in and out of the starting lineup, but he generally plays with a pretty high usage rate, generally takes a decent amount of shots. Um, in that first game against Kansas State, he only put up 15 fantasy points, but like that was his low over the last nine games. So definitely a guy that you can look into at $6,000. And if we get word that Spencer Johnson is out, I like Jackson Robinson even more. On the Kansas State side, BYU is not an enviable team to target guys against. And the good news is with Kansas State, though, is we know where the usage is coming from. It's going to be their two guards, Perry and Carter, and then their athletic wing, Arthur Kaluma. I like Kaluma the best in this spot against BYU. The first time he had 33 fantasy points on 7 for 13 shooting, and he led the team in shots in their Monday night game against Texas where he put up 31 fantasy points. So Kaluma would probably be the guy that I'm going to get to on the Kansas State side. Next up, we have Boston College taking on NC State. Ken Palm has this one projected to be 77 to 73 in favor of the Wolfpack. Now, the previous meeting between these two teams was 84 to 78 in favor of NC State, but that game went to overtime and it was only 68 to 68 at the end of regulation, which is not the best total ever. Now, for Boston College, Quentin Post is their guy. He leads the team in usage rate on the season, and he is their best player, in my opinion. In that game against NC State, he put up 33.75 fantasy points. That's not bad, but at $8,500, we'd like a little more than that if we could get it. Um, recently, though, they've continued to play with him through the post, no pun intended, and he puts up a lot of peripheral stats because of how much they play through him. So I definitely think he's a solid option at $8,500, and I really think he could, could hit 4 or 5x at that price tag. Jaden Zachary would be the guy that I would want on a game stack or a Boston College team stack. Why? Because he has a really high assist rate and he tends to get a lot of them. When Boston College scores a lot of points, Jaden Zachary tends to have a lot of fancy points. If you look at his game log, that bears out. Um, so if you think that this is going to be a game worth stacking, he's a guy you got to get in there. 
Now, Mason Matson is the third guy I would probably target for Boston College. He has been great lately. 25 fancy points or more in four straight, one of which was 38 fancy points against Miami. And he is playing a ton of minutes now. He is taking double-digit shots, and he's going to get you some rebounds and assists as well. I just wish he was back to being in the 4K range, which he was like two weeks ago. But he's been great, and he's... He, he could very well continue that against NC State, who just let Chris Bell of Syracuse just bomb them with wide-open corner threes. So there's no reason that Mason Madsen can't do the same. Claudel Harris Jr. as well as Devin McLaughlin, I think are guys that are going to get shots, but they're kind of shot-dependent. And I think that they operate more as pivots off of Post and Zachary, who are probably going to be more highly owned. On the NC State side, DJ Horn has been outstanding for them recently. Um, he has had a 29% usage rate in three straight games, and he's put up 38 fantasy points in those three straight games. That would be a salary that we'd be more than, or a, a fantasy point production that we'd be more than happy with at his salary. Had to think of how to word that one for a second. So he is definitely a guy that we're going to consider, especially in a game stagger. We think this game's going to end up shooting out. In the first game against Boston College, Horn was um, good but not great, putting up 37 fantasy points. Actually, that's pretty good. Um, seven for 16 from the field, which is um, about par for the course for him. So definitely a guy that I'm willing to play, DJ Horn. DJ Burns is also always got to be in play um, because he plays with such a high usage rate that if he's out there on the floor enough minutes, he's going to stumble into a lot of fantasy points. And I mean that quite literally. In the first game against Boston College, he did foul out of that game, but he did put up 21 fantasy points in 37 minutes on 19 shots. Uh, we've also talked about all season long how Quentin Post is not a great defender in the post because he doesn't want to foul. And so DJ Burns could be a guy who could take advantage of that. And I definitely like the price tag at 6,200. Muhammad Diara is another guy that I've been playing a ton of in recent weeks, but his price tag is getting a little up there now. Um, he's now up to $6,100, but if you look at what he did against Boston College, I still want to play him. He had 18 rebounds in that game and put up 34 fantasy points. So Muhammad Diar, now that he's in the starting lineup, like entrenched in the starting lineup, he's put up 33 fantasy points or more in two of the last three. He had that big game against Boston College the first time. He checks a lot of boxes at $6,100. Next up, we have probably the biggest game of the day in the ACC, in my opinion. Duke traveling to Winston-Salem to take on Wake Forest. This could be a win that could send Wake Forest into the NCAA tournament if they were able to get it. Ken Palm has this game projected to be 76-75 to in favor of Duke for a pretty solid total. The previous meeting between these two teams was 77-69 to in favor of Duke. I think this is a pretty good game to stack, but it really would not have been the first time these two teams played, and I'll explain why. So both these teams play super short rotations, right? Um, for Duke, their starting five is Filipowski, McCain, Mitchell, Roach, and Proctor, with Foster and Young playing sparingly off the bench. For Wake, they start um, Boopy Miller, Cam Hildreth, Hunter Salas, Andrew Carr, Efton Reed, with Monsanto and Fredericton playing backup for the guards and Marsh playing backup for the bigs. In the first meeting, Duke did their part for a healthy game stack. Their production was very concentrated. Cal Filipowski had 43 fancy points. Jared McCain had 39 fancy points. Mark Mitchell had 37 fancy points. Jeremy Roach had 23 fancy points. Those are the guys that I would continue to target for Duke. That's where the usage continues to lump. And one of them is probably going to hit value in this game, if not more. Personally, I like the fact that Filipowski is a guy who has legitimate 60 fancy point upside and sitting there at $8,100. Now, on the Wake side, why did they not do their part to make it a good game stack? Well, foul trouble is the two-word answer. 
Efton Reed picked up two early fouls in that game against Duke, which he is prone to doing and only had 19 fantasy points in 15 minutes. If he can stay out of foul trouble, he's a great option, but I have no faith that he can stay out of foul trouble in a big that is going to attack the basket and attack it with a lot of volume. Hunter Salas is the only guy who really hit value in that first game against Duke. Played 38 minutes, took 20 shots, put up 35 fantasy points. Um, also, what's interesting to me is that Salas, when he goes off, tends to be uncorrelated with other guys. Like A lot of his buckets don't have assists. And he also generally gets there by stealing rebounds and assists from other players. So I think if you're playing Salas on the wake side, I'd probably play him unstacked and maybe go like a 2-1 Duke wake or, or something like that. Um, but I think that's interesting to kind of see in the game logs with Hunter Salas, that trend that's developing. Cam Hildreth and Boopy Miller also dealt with early foul trouble in that game, which meant Monsanto and Fredrickson got a lot of run and both of them hit 4x value. If you think that's going to happen again, I think that there's a chance that both of them could do it because both of them are lights-out shooters. And so if they come in, play 20 minutes, hit four threes, like that's going to be a pathway to decent fantasy points. Next up, we have Washington heading to Tucson to take on Arizona. Ken Palm has this one projected to be 90-76 to 76 in favor of Arizona, which makes Arizona the second highest scoring team on the slate. That's right. They're the second highest scoring team on the slate, and they have 90 projected points. That is wild. Anyway, on the Washington side, Keon Brooks is a very high floor option. He's going to play a ton of minutes. He's going to take a ton of shots. And in a pace-up game like this, you know there's opportunity for a lot of fancy points with a very solid floor for Keon Brooks. He's actually been playing more of the three lately, but it doesn't seem to have hurt or helped his production. He's been pretty steady. So I think he's an elite cash game play 8,400. Now, the interesting part for Washington, and this was brought up by a member of the Discord, Cam. Um, shout out to you, Cam. So Xavier Wilder, it appeared, got yanked for shot selection against Arizona State. Um, he still played 34 minutes in that overtime game, but he only took eight shots, was very passive with the ball in the second half, only put up 21 fantasy points. What that allowed was a breakout game from Corin Johnson, who put up 36 fantasy points on five for 10 shooting. He played 35 minutes in that game, which is more than he had since pretty much the very start of the season when Xavier Wheeler was hurt. So if Wheeler is going to get benched or get yanked or have a short leash, you got to like Corin Johnson. And the upside is definitely there with Corin. He also had 45 fantasy points against Sanford um, about two weeks ago. So definitely a guy that I'm going to be considering, Corin Johnson. There's not a whole lot of safety there, but he's got a ton of upside at $6,400. Now on the Arizona side, watching them against Washington State, they look kind of dysfunctional in my opinion. Um, Caleb Love is the cause of the dysfunction, which if you know him from his days at North Carolina is not shocking. He's a great player, but he can shoot his team out of games. Against Washington, he was eight for 20 from the field. I'm sorry, against Washington State, he was eight for 20 from the field. Still put up 44 fantasy points, so like still good from an individual fantasy scoring perspective, but I don't think they want to play games with Caleb Love taking 20 shots. Just my opinion. Umar Ballo is a guy who can score a lot of fancy points without a whole lot of shots, though. He has 33 fancy points in six straight games. I think he's also a great cash game play like Keon Brooks. I think he's a slightly better play than Keon Brooks, though, because we have seen bigs really go off against this Washington team. So Umar Ballo is definitely a guy that I'm going to be considering at 8,200. After that, a lot of the Arizona supporting pieces I'm kind of passing on because even with their super high team total, they're not very consistent. Caleb Love is the one taking all the shots, so like they're not going to have as many shots. And it's just, they're expensive. I'd rather go play value play somewhere else. Kashawn Johnson is probably my favorite of the bunch, though. He's probably the guy I'm most likely to play, and he will make some of my lineups. 
we like Kashad Johnson against teams who play two bigs because teams who play small ball tend to like space him off the floor. Washington is not going to do that. Washington plays two true bigs. So I definitely think there's a lot of upside for him at only $6,000 where we can see him absolutely smash that price tag going up against the weaker bigs of Washington, in my opinion. Next up, we have Iowa taking on Illinois. This is the highest total of the slate. Ken Palm has it projected to be 91 to 81 in favor of Illinois. Wow, that's a high total. Now, on the Iowa side, Owen Freeman is now their leader in price. And I get it because he's put up two 50 fancy point outings in the last four games, but um, he's also got a pretty darn low floor. Against Michigan State, he only played eight minutes because of foul trouble, only put up 15 fancy points. Um, He's priced for his ceiling, not his floor, and we don't see a lot of guys have ceiling games against Coleman Hawkins, so Omen Freeman is probably a pass for me. Peyton Sanford is second. We've talked about him all season long. He's kind of shot dependent, but like – it's kind of been working for him, and so I think he's definitely in play. Um, I think he can give um, issues to Illinois' kind of smaller guards that they're going to try to guard him with if they do go with that route. Um, but Tony Perkins is the guy that I'm going to continue to bang the drum for on the Iowa side. As somebody who sees the usage rate stats, like he continues to have a pretty solid usage rate game in, game out. The fancy scoring just hasn't been there because he either hasn't been all that efficient or guys just haven't made enough shots to give him a lot of assists. So I'm definitely going to continue to be on Tony Perkins, especially in a great game environment. Out of their big four, though, the guy that I kind of like the most is Ben Cricky. You know, it might feel a little bit like chasing off that 42 fancy point outing against Michigan State, but like if he can stay on the floor or stay out of foul trouble, he's got a recipe to really smash this price tag. And we've seen that when he is able to stay out of foul trouble. It's a recurring theme for him. And so against Illinois, a team who's not going to run a whole lot of their offense through their four spot, like this is a pretty good spot for Ben Cricky, and I think there's a lot of upside. We've also seen Patrick McCaffrey kind of take over his old role, playing a decent amount of minutes, getting a lot of shots, um, 22 fantasy points against Michigan State. Uh, in a great game environment, his salary of only $5,000. I kind of like him because you know he's going to get 20-plus minutes because it's his dad giving him the minutes, and you know he's going to take shots because he's a pretty good shooter. So um, definitely interested in Patrick McCaffrey at 5K. Now, on the Illinois side, they're the highest team total on the slate, so you got to like a piece of them, right? And what better piece to like than Terrence Shannon Jr.? Cut off of 53 fancy points against Penn State, where he started off kind of slow and really erupted in the second half, which was against a tough defensive matchup because Ace Baldwin's a pretty good defender. Iowa does not have a whole lot of good defenders, so definitely really like Terrence Shannon Jr. He has been over 39 fancy points in four straight, and I just really think he's got a big chance to have another ceiling game here against Iowa. I think he's going to be very popular, though, so just know when you put him in your lineup, you're getting a guy who's going to be having a lot of ownership. Coleman Hawkins really folded the game away for them uh, Thursday night against Penn State. Just was not good down the stretch. Um, only 19 fantasy points in that game, but we know he has a massive ceiling, and we know the matchup against Iowa is very juicy for guys of all positions, so don't sleep on Coleman Hawkins. After those two, like, the mask sees his usage rate oscillate a lot. Um, I think the game environment can boost him up a little bit, but I'm not super sold on that at his price tag is 7,300. He's definitely a pivot off of Terrence Shannon. If Shannon were to get in foul trouble or not play well, Damask would be the guy who would get a bulk of the usage. Ty Rogers is pretty much a um, designated defender. Gary A is a guy who they just haven't run a whole lot of offense for since um, Terrence Shannon Jr. coming back. So my main interest is going to be at the top of this Illinois side, either playing Shannon or Damask and then playing Coleman Hawkins as an option as well. 
Last game of the slate is going to be Cincinnati heading to Fort Worth to take on TCU. Now, Ken Palm has this one projected to be 76 to 72 in favor of TCU. The previous meeting between these two teams was 81 to 77 in favor of Cincinnati in overtime, but it was only 67 to 67 in regulation. So don't get your hopes up that this is going to be some big time shootout. For Cincinnati, I've talked about for a few weeks now, Dan Skillings, in my opinion, is their best player. He should see more shots than he gets. He can put up a lot of peripheral stats. He's got a lot of upside. He's probably the most dependable guy on this side. But Day-Day Thomas really had a good game against TCU the first time. He was their usage leader in that game, and we have seen guards go off against TCU like Max Asmus um, of Texas. And I know there's a few more, but I can't think of them right now. Against TCU the first time, Day-Day Thomas put up 40 fantasy points in, on 9 for 17 shooting. So definitely a guy that I think you can get to, and, and he's a, the type of ball-dominant guard that can really go off against TCU. Victor Lacken has pretty much been um, out of the rotation recently. I, I don't know what is up with him. He's, like, just not playing. Um, but what that has done is Aziz Bandego and Jamil Reynolds have played a lot of minutes, and more rebounds have gone to Dan Skillings and John Newman. TCU is just a tough team to target because they have a lot of depth, and teams that have a lot of depth are tough to target. Look, I don't play Emmanuel Miller or Micah PV a whole lot just because I find them overpriced, and um, I generally find that they have more floor games than ceiling games. Even though the ceiling is there, there's just it doesn't happen very often, so I'm not super interested. Jameer Nelson Jr. did have a decent amount of success against Cincinnati the first time they played. Only played 26 minutes and put up 23 fantasy points, but like now he's playing more than 26 minutes routinely. So um, he is their usage leader on the season, so if he plays a lot of minutes, he's definitely got some upside. Travion Tennyson also had a great game against Cincinnati the first time, putting up 27 fantasy points on 6-for-12 shooting. He has seen his role diminish a little bit since Jameer Nelson Jr. moving into the starting lineup, though. So I think you could only play one of those guys, but I think they're both definitely in play. Ernest Uday is questionable for TCU, and in their last game, they really split minutes at the center position between Jacoby Coles and Essa Mustafa. Mustafa looked great, in my opinion. He played 19 minutes, put up 23 fantasy points. If Uday's out again at $3,500, he is a steal. Unfortunately, this is the last game of the slate, so you really got to be comfortable with Ernest Uday being out to, to put him in the lineup. Jacoby Coles is going to have more of a role even if Uday is in because they were splitting minutes beforehand. But Coles, when he's out there, plays with a big-time usage rate against TC, or Texas Tech. 17 minutes, 11 shots, 24 fantasy points. And we have seen the center position go off against Cincinnati. I've done this rant a few times now. Dylan DeSue, Deron Holmes, um, Juwan Roberts. There, there's just there's a lot of bigs that have gone off against Cincinnati. The list keeps going. So um, definitely like those TCU guys, especially if Ernest Uday misses this game. All right, so that does it for this episode, y'all. And I think it's good timing because my voice is about out of gas. Remember, if you want my thoughts from more of this slate or any of the other slates, follow me on Twitter, join the Fancy Corner Discord, join the Patreon so you can get those articles. And um, if you like what you saw in this episode, I hope you did. Um, hopefully, I gave you guys plenty of information that can help you win some DFS contests on Saturday. Um, if you like what you saw, please hit the like button on YouTube. Please rate and review the audio. Um, and go ahead and subscribe to the channel on um, audio as well as on YouTube. That way you can be notified new episodes drop and you can be with us through the rest of college basketball season. And hopefully we'll help you keep making you some money through the rest of college basketball season. All right, so that does it for this episode, guys. Best of luck to everybody for this Saturday main slate. 
I'm super intrigued for the afternoon slate as well because we got my Longhorns in action against Kansas. Um, but we'll see how it goes. I'm definitely excited for all three of these slates tomorrow. It should be a fun day of college basketball DFS, and I'm really excited about it. Best of luck to you guys on Saturday. Thank you guys for watching and listening to this point, and I'll see you next time.